This is Music Ed Amplified. Well, 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 it's been a while, hasn't it? If you've checked out my Music Ed with Missy Facebook or Instagram pages or my Twitter account, you may have noticed that it's been a pretty busy season. Of course, as all of us are probably aware, it seems to always be a busy season for all of us. But this winter and spring have been off the charts for me for some reason. One huge plus, though, was that I was able to meet so many of you at the Music Ed conferences I presented at um, in Michigan, in Atlanta, in Georgia, in Illinois, Ohio, Texas, and of course, my kind of home state of New Jersey. It's been a whirlwind for sure, but there is so much excitement when I'm with other music teachers, and it gives me the energy and encouragement I need to keep going. I'm just finishing up the undergrad course I've been teaching this semester, and I'm now working on the upcoming neuroscience and musical development grad course I get to teach in person at Rowan University and University of the Arts this summer in July. I'm super stoked about these classes. I'm also prepping for an in-person two days of folk dancing and movement with a twist in my beloved second home of Forney, Texas, as well as three new online workshops that I plan on offering this summer, mixing up the music for the movement menu of First Steps, folk dancing with a twist, and also music, the brain, and culturally responsive practices. I hope to see you at one of these over the summer at least. As soon as I'm able to, I will have links up on the podcast website, but also, of course, info will be available as soon as possible on my social media accounts. One last thing I do want to say before moving on to today's interview is that I am truly sorry that I haven't been at all consistent with putting up episodes for season three since the phenomenal opener with Donovan Taylor Hall, who, by the way, is getting his viola very soon. The only thing I can say is thank you for your patience and how much I appreciate those of you who are continuously encouraging me to create and maintain boundaries in my life so that I don't burn out. Even though the overachiever in me is chafing against the fact that I haven't consistently delivered episodes this season, the Missy, who I'm thankful to say is growing in wisdom, is cheering me on and saying, do it when you are able to and when you can find true joy in doing so. Whenever I do get to put one out, I hope that you find encouragement, challenge, and great ideas. But enough about me. Let's get to this episode's interview with music teacher Chelsea Sardoni and music ed consultant Ashley Cuthbertson. Chelsea is an elementary general music teacher in Massachusetts, and I've really enjoyed following her journey on Instagram, where we met. She currently teaches grades 1 to 5 and is also a conductor for the South Shore Children's Chorus. Chelsea is passionate about creating safe spaces for self-expression and exploration, she works to design instruction that is culturally relevant beyond simply making diverse repertoire choices. Ashley Cuthbertson is a nationally board certified teacher who holds a master's in education as well as certifications in the Kodai approach and arts integration. Ashley has over 12 years of experience in education. 
She partners with schools, school districts, and organizations to help music educators build and maintain high-quality music programs that attract, engage, and retain music students by centering equitable and culturally responsive pedagogical practices in their music curriculum and instruction. This particular episode came about when Chelsea reached out to me last year with questions about how she might dive deeper into her journey to better herself and her learning communities. I knew when she wrote to me that Ashley would be just the expert we needed, and thankfully, Ashley was game to lend us her expertise. So let's get listening in to the conversation. So I am uh, really happy to be here uh, with you both. Thank you for being willing to be on the podcast. Uh, We've been following each other on different social media accounts, and it's a privilege to meet you in a kind of real life. Sort of, yeah. (laughs) The next stage of real life. Before we dig into the questions, I'd love for each of you to just briefly introduce yourself. Uh, Let's start with Ashley. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm Ashley Cuthbertson. It's good to meet you both in uh, this virtual reality. I use the pronouns she, her. And I'm a music educator and a music consultant. So right now, I mostly focus on supporting music educators to improve their uh, their music programs through utilizing culturally responsive and equitable practices. And so um, through my consulting firm that I founded, um, mostly what we do is professional development, coaching, curriculum development, and also I've started working with some districts with their strategic planning as well. Well, thank you. And um, Chelsea, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, hi, I'm Chelsea. Um, I am an elementary general music teacher. I teach grades one through five in Massachusetts. And right now I'm kind of just on the journey of, I'm in my fifth year of teaching. So we finally hit, you know, the first big milestone, I feel like. And I'm on this journey of trying to, um, know better and do better in my classroom. Awesome. And with that in mind, about Mm -hmm. a month ago, um, Chelsea, you reached out to me. Yeah, Um, I reached out to um, Missy and I said, you know, hey, I'm I'm wondering, I've been following your journey and implementing a lot of um, culturally responsive teaching practices trying to let's (laughs) trying to (laughs) no I think that you are you what I've seen so far has been awesome which is what prompted me to reach out and she said wow like I would love to have you on the podcast with um Ashley and just to talk a little bit about it yeah I mean many people who know me know that you know I'll be having a conversation and I'll be like you know what stop right there because this will be an excellent podcast episode <laughs> so please stop talking because I'm not going to answer your questions right now <laughs> um well I I have in front of me some of your questions um Chelsea and I thought what I'd do is I'm just going to go through them um and ask Ashley who has graciously agreed to share you know her insight uh, and thoughts. And then, Chelsea, you and I can just jump in uh, as we see fit, you know, if we have questions or like, you know, just wondering about something as we go. So, Ashley, uh, I thought a great place always to start, especially 
uh, for teachers who are kind of inundated with edu-speak and buzzwords and, um, you know, acronyms. For those who are not familiar with it, can you share, and it doesn't have to be lengthy, you're, whatever you want to do, like, can you share an overarching description of what culturally responsive teaching is to you and maybe a little bit about what it's not, um, which I think is always interesting when you're considering something uh, to have some contrast or to kind of clear up any misunderstandings about what it is or isn't. Uh, and like in the same answer, if you feel comfortable, for those who are reticent, you know, to add yet another dimension or thing to their kind of professional plate, which is everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anybody who's like, gosh, I'm really looking for a new program to start learning and implementing in my classroom because I don't have enough to do. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, why do you believe this is so vital and um, worth the investment of our time and efforts? Yeah. Yeah, I think a good place to start is just um, talking about what even is culturally responsive teaching. So I think, as you just said, with edu speak and buzzwords, I think a lot of folks just get like really uh, overwhelmed and kind of confused about like what exactly is culture responsive teaching. And and part of it also is that there are several different phrases that are all within like a this one umbrella. Yes. Um, like you may have heard like term culture responsive teaching, obviously, but also like culturally relevant pedagogy yes. under that umbrella culturally sustaining pedagogy is culturally aware lately that yeah. was or not i don't know if it's lately but i mean i've heard it lately it's mm -hmm. probably 40 years old but <laughs> yeah i mean there's there's different I mean, it's important to note that like each of those phrases and terms is often associated with like a particular thought leader and a researcher but basically um mm -hmm. i define culturally responsive teaching like the broad term like not necessarily music specific but the broad term is culture responsive teaching is utilizing the cultural frames of reference of our students to make learning more relevant and meaning to them. So another mm -hmm. way you can think of like culture, by the way, culture is not just race and ethnicity, right. it's the mm -hmm. whole spectrum of a person's identity and all the multifaceted intersecting parts of that. And so you can think of culture as being like the filter through which everything kind of goes through. I almost think of it like um, this like computer kind of analogy, like mm -hmm. you as a person, a vessel, you are kind of like when you get a brand new computer that has the equipment and all this stuff, but there's no software in it yet, right? So when you're right. like born as a baby, you don't even know any kind of language yet, right? You're literally like a blank slate, but you learn things throughout your life, right? So you learn about, well, you learn a language, right? From whoever is speaking around you. So you learn a language, you pick up on different values, you pick up on different belief systems, you pick up on different like ways of being, ways of thinking, what's important, what's no not, kind of like a computer, right? Mm -hmm. So as you, or even your phone, right? I was just downloading an app today, right? You right. download new apps, you get new software. The computer didn't come with that to begin with. You add those things as you come along. And our students are kind of the same way, right? We think about, when we think about what, what makes meaning for them, well, we have to use software that's already in their brain that they already understand. Like how hard is it to learn a whole brand new software or piece right. of technology, right? right? So think of it through that lens with our students, right? Just like it's hard for us to learn a piece of technology, 
it's hard for our students to, to really understand how something works when it's a whole brand new context that they don't already understand. Mm-hmm. So how do we make sure that there's already context? Well, we use the software, the app, in this case, the cultural meaning that's already in their brains existing. In our music space, I think of culturally responsive music education as a, a robust approach to teaching music where we're connecting students to their own self-identity, the identities of others, also understanding the world. And we create those understandings by selecting repertoire that allows us to be able to have those um, conversations and uh, experiences through music so that we're using our musicianship skills to help us create those understandings. I don't really think that like the music itself is the destination. And I think a lot of times, you know, music teachers, we become music teachers because we are so excited, right? We love music. It brings us so much joy. We have so many great memories. But we've already constructed meaning, right? Our kids don't already have that. They have that constructed meaning yet. So when we only focus on like teaching a melodic or a rhythmic or a technique on the violin or something, I don't know why I picked the violin, but picking a new technique, we are assuming that they already have context and that they already care. They don't care yet. (laughs) So how are we going to make it matter for them first? Well, we have to connect it to their cultural frames of reference. That means we have to think about what do they already know? And how can we bring this new knowledge, not through a whole brand new app or software system that they need to download, but how can we bring it to what's already existing in their mind? That's really what the power of uh, centering culturally responsive practices is, is that it allows us to make deeper meaning for our students and create context. Because you can't really learn anything at a deep level if it's like this nebulous piece of knowledge, it's going to go away, right? So, And if you're not kind of invested in it in some way like you know I don't have buy-in from students right they're not gonna really listen which means they're not gonna fully absorb or even partially (laughs) absorb or even partially what I'm gonna try to do all right yeah and I feel like that you know you say about um like I'm trying to put my thoughts into words um (laughs) you know it's like oh why do they care what is the, what's the piece that makes them invested? I feel like that's, you know, more mm. than half the battle most of the time. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. that one little piece that you can embed. You know, I feel like it's very, mm. it's much more, not something that gets added on as I learn about it and I hear about it. It's an embedded thing. Right. So and I think exactly yeah. that is why I think it can be hard for all educators, but especially us in music, because we're already so overwhelmed with so many things. But mm-hmm. actually, I encourage us to not think of culturally responsive pedagogical practices as being a new thing or an added thing, but actually like they are the thing. When we make sure that our students feel like they belong and they can connect to the, the musical tasks that we're connecting them to, they can engage in more rigorous tasks because they actually see the meaning and it connects, right? And mm-hmm. so it's it's that's the thing, right? It's not putting a whole new thing on top it's not like right. oh, cherry. <laughs> it right. is actually the thing that we need to be focusing on yeah yeah mm-hmm. I you know um just it's a side story but I think it might have some relevance yeah. when I was in uh, an undergraduate uh in my beloved music history or excuse me music theory class which I hated that's sarcasm <laughs> um I got into an argument with the professor which was a kind of weekly thing And I would say things like, I remember when we were learning about church modes, which up to that point, I didn't know anything about. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I learned it, you know, in retrospect, 
but I would have been okay without that knowledge also. But I remember saying, I kept saying, I don't understand what these are and why we're studying them so closely. Mm. And then I said, I don't know. Are these things that uh, this is what I kept saying. Are these things that like exist in nature, these church modes? Why am I learning these? And he was getting so mad at me. And I remember thinking, I don't want to, I don't have any extra brain capacity right now <laughs> between <laughs> everything that I'm doing. Why should I care about this, these things that are also taking up so much time? And I remember saying, so is it like when I said naturally occurring, because I gave him the same thing when I was like, why do we have to learn harmonic minor and natural minor and melodic minor? <laughs> yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Right? I kept saying, and I wasn't saying it like how I said about algebra. I was asking him to make it relevant to me. Right. Yeah. And I was saying, is it something you hear in pop music? Is it something only in classical music? But here I'm like as a as a young person really able to articulate um, my frustration with you're taking up so much of my time and energy. Well, think mm -hmm. about kids and we're not capitalizing on that s software that's already downloaded. And we're just like, learn this, learn this, learn this. They can't even articulate. So what they do is just shut down. Right. You know, it's just like, well, this isn't very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if that's parallel, but it just struck me as you were talking about yeah well i think you would you exactly gave a, an example of for you even as like somebody who's already bought into music in the bigger sense <laughs> right right like there was a very particular new piece of knowledge that he already was very invested in teaching you because he already it made meaning to him but mm -hmm. he had not made that connection for you and showed you how yeah. what you were learning actually mattered and like the so what factor, right? Yeah, <laughs> like so I what? Why? That. So why are we learning this? Are yeah. we writing something in this? Is it all the songs are made in these different modes, or mm -hmm. is it just something you're interested in? That's what I kept saying. Is this yeah. something you're interested in, and you are teaching it to us also? So anyway, right. um, yeah. okay. So I are there things that you've seen that people have kind of called culturally responsive or something in this, you know? category that either like trouble you because you're like I don't know if that's exactly what I would call it or you or that you would actually consider inauthentic you know and I'm of course not I'm not asking you to name names I just mean like <laughs> right. you know are there things you see and you think I think people misunderstand that's not really the yeah. thing I think the number one biggest thing I see from where and I so I work with music educators and I've had the, the great privilege now working with educators literally all across the US and also now internationally. And the number one trap that we as music educators fall into and people people are describing, oh, I was being culturally responsive. And by the way, you can't be culturally responsive. But right. when they say that, they are referring to that they just diversified the repertoire <laughs> that you're using. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> like, I thought that should be my tagline. Just yeah. simply <laughs> diversifying your repertoire is right. not culturally responsive. And here's the reason why, right? So you know, cultural responsive practices definitely include using diverse repertoire, repertoire that's going to be relevant and meaningful for your students. And that doesn't mean we pick pop music from the 60s, right? We have to pick music from like right, right. now, or even from, or even not necessarily right now, but like just music that has a, a connection so we can start to make the, the meaning for the students. And sometimes the way we make the meaning isn't by playing hip hop or pop, because not all students even like hip hop or pop, right? right? 
But the problem is if you're just diversifying your repertoire, like you could really have the most diverse set of repertoire, but if the pedagogical practices that you're using to teach the repertoire are still very much like rooted in kind of like a Eurocentric only lens, or if the way that you're teaching it is not providing students with a sense of belonging through voice and choice, you haven't even fostered a learning environment where students want to learn music, right? Like that's really the first step is do kids even want to engage in music learning? Have you created a, a container, a learning environment where students want to um, feel safe to make risks, feel like they belong, feel like they have a voice and a choice? Um, that's that's the issue, right? So just diversifying your repertoire doesn't get you to creating a, a learning environment that's healthy and supportive for kids. It also doesn't teach you uh, sound pedagogical practices that are more aligned with like facilitating learning versus like, teacher as sage on the stage. And right. so that's really like the number one trap I find music teachers fall into. And I know why, the reason why is like a very practical reason is because when people hear the word culture and culturally, right. they immediately think race and ethnicity. Mm -hmm. And when we are just thinking race and ethnicity, then of course, if I just think, you know, music in Spanish, it feels like I, I did a thing, but we're forgetting that just like the repertoire itself is not culturally responsive. Um, because also it, it doesn't take into account who your actual students are, right? So like you have to right. be responsive to who's in, in front of you at the same time. And so it's important to remember that like there's there's much more to being a culturally responsive and relevant educator than just picking repertoire. Repertoire is like one of the last things I talk about actually on purpose right. because there's so many other things that really need to be in place before we're worrying about um, just picking repertoire pieces. That's not really the way that we make culturally responsive teaching. Because you can still teach classical music, right? I don't advocate right. for not teaching that. However, again, like it's not about like the what so much as it is the how. how? What kind of pedagogical uh, practices are you using to teach the children? Well, this leads to the next question, which is, you know, now that you've said uh, that, especially about, you know, like, don't get caught in the trap of, well, I chose like a Spanish song and I chose, a, you know, a, a song from uh, a country in Africa. And then I chose one song and uh, look at me being so, you know, culturally responsive. Yeah. Uh, practically speaking, what are some, what does culturally responsive teaching look like in the elementary music classroom, just whether as specific as you want to be yeah. and how can a teacher who wants to begin to teach with this kind of mindset begin to incorporate it into everyday practice? Yeah. And so um, without going like too super, you know, sure, this is what sure. I do. So without going yes, too exactly. super, super, like a couple <laughs> Don't give of all the secrets away. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they pay me for. Yeah. And so it's almost like this, like, uh, main hallmarks I, in a, an elementary specific room. Although, I mean, I think mm -hmm. a lot of these things go for yeah, um, sure. K-12, but I think thinking through my, I taught elementary most of the time when I was uh, teaching in the classroom, I would say um, co-partnership with our students. So I know a lot of times as elementary teachers, um, I remember being told and I've heard the advice being passed on of, you know, if you're having engagement issues or behavioral trouble with students, just keep them moving. Just Make sure you have a lot of activities. Actually, the problem with that is that now there's no space for students to share their voice. Right. There's no space mm. for like the students to actually be doing the work and be practicing the thing. 
And also like, what is your objective? Is your objective just to keep moving or is your objective to engage them deeply in rigorous instruction? That's two different things. So for the first kind of big hallmark is, um, is there more of a co-partnership happening in the classroom where the teacher is seeking to center the voices of the students, not just like as a quick little blip, but like really seeking opportunities for how they design the, the lesson, you know, the curriculum to be able to have uh, places where the students not only are sharing their voice, but they're acting on it through different choices that they're making. So if the teacher is directing the whole lesson, I would encourage, um, which a lot of us do, right? I, right? I did that for a long time until I knew better, right? right? I would encourage you to think about what is one place in your lesson where you can step back and the students could do? Could that be that you start your lesson with a discussion that's more student-led? And of course, there's some um, like talking structures, maybe you want to teach your kids to be able to do that in a way where um, everybody feels like they you know, can contribute if they want to. Not everybody has to talk. Um, is there an opportunity in your lesson to give um, uh, the students an opportunity to create something? One small little thing, right? So how can you just start to expand that capacity within your own um, the way that you're teaching so that it's not just you doing, 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 doing. Because by the way, if you're doing the whole thing, then right. they're not actually learning anything. Right. <laughs> it's like the, um, I remember I used to be so exhausted as a teacher because it felt like I was performing for like yeah. six and a half hours. I was just going to say, it's just a performance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's literally what it was. It was me performing, you know, 30 minutes at a time right. all day. And so I really started flipping my practices to be more student and learner centered where I could sit down because the students are more focused on learning and kind of working through, and it's messy, right? Because mm -hmm. learning is messy. Um, but when I like realized like, like that was the thing that now needed to be happening, but also like really allowed my students to learn at a deeper level, the assessment data was miles different from when it was when it was the Ashley show for six and a mm -hmm. half hours. It was like, wow, like I'm really doing too much. And also like the students weren't learning. So like, why was I wearing myself out doing like teaching in that way? So like one, this, how are you co-partnering with your students? Mm -hmm. I also expect to see like a wide variety of the styles of music happening in the classroom. So not just that, again, it's just not about hip hop and pop music, but how are you broadening the worldview of your students through the repertoire choices that you're making? How are you picking repertoire that allows you to um, help the students learn about new people and new places and new things and histories and how people interact, you know, in the world. Also, how are you engaging students in social political learning? Mm. A key part of culturally mm. responsive teaching that a lot of us miss is that students have to actually use the learning that they are getting for something like for a real reason, right? So part of that is we have to teach kids how to read the world and understand their their place in a global society. And that means that we have to talk about actual social political stuff. And that doesn't mean that we need to talk about like the heaviest of the heavy things every right. single day, mm -hmm. because sometimes social political topic could be as simple as, I don't know, let me think of something on the fly. Uh, it could be as simple as like access to fresh food. Right. Right? Some of our communities mm -hmm. are like food deserts, right? So it could be as simple as have, uh, is there a way through the repertoire or the artists that you're studying where you could talk about something like that? Mm -hmm. And how could the music guide kind of that discussion? So I would expect to, to see some like students engaging in some more rigorous discussion versus just knowledge, 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 knowledge. Right. I would also yeah. expect to see students engaging in like an artistic process of music making. So not like, sometimes we do like weird abstracted stuff, like let's just read a whole bunch of rhythms. 
Right. You know, like move on to the next thing. Like, but why were we doing that? Like, can we right. use it for something? Are we going to create something? Are we going to um, use some expression to create another way to interpret this piece? Like, for what was the reason why we were doing all of these things? I would also expect for the students to be able to articulate what the actual purpose of the learning is. Be it that they, you know, sometimes they use like the I can language, be right. it mm -hmm. as simple as that. But it's very clear to the students that they know what they are doing. That means you can't have 10 objectives in your lesson. It means you need to have one and you're very focused through however long of time you have with your students that everything ties back to that particular objective because you're going to be assessing your students, right? You can't mm -hmm. go on to the next thing if you don't have um, data to tell you whether or not the instruction you delivered was useful or not. It's not that we're just uh, kind of woo-wooing it, right? There's still right. rigorous standards-based instruction that's happened. And I would even argue that a lot of the ways that our teacher preparation programs prepare us does not prepare us for this kind of complex yeah. thinking that no. connects to bigger <laughs> ideas. Um, uh, and I think that's part of why it's so hard is because, again, we were already bought into like learning how to, I was a, a flute player. So like learning how right. to play the flute, I was already bought in. I didn't need my flute instructor to make it meaning meaningful for me, although maybe some of the music, like, I don't know that I care right. as much about Mozart as much as right. I played Mozart <laughs> when I was in college. So maybe some other repertoire choices would have been helpful. Um, but for our students, even like, are we engaging them in objectives that are bigger than just, I can read GA right. from the right. staff. Or like play eighth oh. notes and yeah. eighth rests. Yeah. Not that rest. we don't need to also do that. <laughs> Yeah, mm -hmm. but like, sure. what is the bigger, can they articulate, what is the bigger unit of study that we are doing? Which means we can't teach singular one-off lessons. We have right. to think of expansively, how are we developing students' understandings over time? Mm -hmm. And I think you're doing, um, it seems like you're, you're um, some of the things you're offering, you actually are uh, about developing this yeah. kind of curricular approach. Am I right about yes. that? Yeah, yeah. That's really what I'm most passionate about because I feel like there's lots of great information about um, how we get to equity, which I really think is through culturally responsive teaching. I think that's like right. the biggest lever yeah. we can pull to make learning equitable for students from different backgrounds, students of different races, but also students of different abilities. I don't think that gets right. talked about enough. Like mm. part of being culturally responsive is to um, different disability cultures as well. Right. Um, and so I think um, there's a lot of information about that. There's not a lot about how do we create music curriculum that does that. That's really most of what I work with my clients on. Well, I, I would love that's if you amazing. were writing some of that and yes. one day a book. I'm just saying. It's interesting. So, okay. So I'm just going to give some like perspective of like how like, my experience with this so yeah. in my un so my in my undergrad we were really heavy in critical pedagogy and that was like this very you know we felt and like my my cohort we were all like oh it's just this thing like that we just keep getting told about and it was kind of a no-brainer like well duh like <laughs> we're gonna you know incorporate the student's background and things like that and then like I actually started teaching and, you know, then like COVID hit and then um, it become you know, again, the buzzwords. Um, and now it almost feels like after teaching for a little bit, when you are just saying, OK, we're going to do this concept and this concept and this concept. And you're developing your units and everything. 
stepping back and letting the students really take control feels scary. (laughs) It's so scary because you just have to let go of control. And sometimes it just becomes, it unfolds and you start to see where the um, struggles lie in the communication with each other and how the students interact with (laughs) each other and how they're going to problem solve. And then you start to really start to, you pick out like, okay, I need to explicitly help them develop these ways, these working habits to be successful in a classroom that is culturally responsive, that Mm -hmm. asks these big questions of them. And I feel like now it is important to start doing that. And everyone, every PD that I've been so far does miss the mark of, okay, so how? Right. Right. You know, it's always the, okay, where's the application? Like, we all know it's good. We all know we want to do this. We all, what does it look like? Like, What does it look like? Like, exactly. Exactly. And it feels scary. Like I, the other day I put like, a, I did something where it's, I had a big question. I've been starting to do this where I have a starter instead of me just being like, okay, we're going to start immediately. Like I want them to go in and I want them to read the board and I want them to start to talk about something. And I said, how do you know when music is ready to be presented to someone else? And they started to talk about how they experienced that in band, how they experienced that in orchestra, how do they experience that in a concert? Oh, well, we haven't given a concert in three years. <laughs> so like, what does that concert? look like? What does that look like now? And we were having these really interesting conversations about, well, like, how do you teach people how to appreciate the music that you're presenting? And I was like, mm. whoa, <laughs> you just took that way farther than I thought you were going to go. And it actually ended in like a pseudo argument because they were so passionate. I think we should do this, but you know, giving them that time to socialize and work those things out is something that's very scary for a teacher to do, to just kind of sit and say, okay, facilitate, facilitate, facilitate when we're just like rehearse, 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 rehearse sort of thing. Or like, Give a piece of information, give a piece of information, give a piece of information, test you on the information, we're done. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what you just, just explained, Chelsea, like, is actual learning. <laughs> the kids were actually I know. learning. They were actually learning. And, like, that seems to me, like, such, like, I, I, yes, they're learning in other capacities as well, but it feels just so much more detached from what I was prepared for in undergrad. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I think it's so many things in undergrad do not uh, really correlate with what's happening. No, not at all. But then it leaves teachers like, you know, I'm five years in and I'm like, oh, okay, got it. Like, (laughs) right, right, right. Well, not got it, but, you know, (laughs) understanding, reading the room and not just bobbing in the, you know, sea of the that could go on forever and you just drown and drown and drown. Um, but yeah. So Ashley, when you, when you hear Chelsea talking about that, is there, I'm sure there are things that pop into your mind, anything you want to share or. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think like, well, first of all, Chelsea, I think that that was awesome. That example you just gave of how your student, you allowed the facilitation to happen so that they could actually like make meaning from the prompt that you gave them. I thought that was really great. That was, that was real learning, right? I think that's yeah. <laughs> And those kids are gonna remember, like the next time you have a situation happen that it doesn't need to be the same thing, but they're gonna be able to transfer that to another context. And that's ultimately what we want, right? We ultimately want students to learn things because knowledge is like the top layer and then we get to understanding underneath that, but ultimately underneath understanding is transfer into other contexts because kids are not gonna have a person next to them teaching them all throughout their life they have to eventually go out in the world and do the thing right and so i i love that you um share that example because that's that was real learning that they learn something that they'll be able to understand enough that when they're encountering something similar next time they'll be able to transfer some of that learning and brain process that they already went through into that next concept i think that's really great Uh, I was going to ask Chelsea, actually, because I know Chelsea had those questions. Chelsea, have you encountered pushback? Yeah. So it's very clear to me when a classroom teacher has taken the time to implement culturally responsive teaching, for lack of a better word, into their classroom and really teach the kids how to talk to each other and how to be more aware of, you know, their cultures and other cultures and how they, their role and how they fit into the world. And when that doesn't occur in their homeroom classroom, because when they come into music, it is very evident that they don't have those skills. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. they, it doesn't even cross their mind So when you have a teacher that comes back into the room to pick up their kids and we're wrapping up and having this discussion, you know, they'll see things on the board and yada, yada, yada. And they're like, oh, well, like, what did you do? And I'm just sitting there like, we are doing valuable things. Why are they even? Exactly. So it's it's a twofold thing. It's the pushback from the other for from other educators, from parents who the kids go home and say, I did this today. Oh, well, we don't agree with that. Like Missy said. And then it's also, you know, it's a larger culture issue because if not everyone's on board, it's not as effective. Mm. Yes. So that's where I was coming from with that question. Yeah. And so, uh, maybe I'll speak to, and I also wanted to mention, I just wrote a whole blog post all about this, but it was focused oh. more, oh. on website. it's focused more on pushback from parents. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's more on parents, but I'll, I'll talk, I can talk about both. And so um, when we're thinking about, let's talk about the parents first, community members and family folks. I think one thing to remember is that we are very aware of what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. And they have literally no idea. So just like for our students, we have to make the meeting and the connection. We also have to do that for our community as well. And even though they are adults, you know, all adults, and I work with adults all day now, like adults still need to learn stuff. And so (laughs) I think it's really important as music educators that we are very, very clear on what is our mission and our vision. Like before you even start planning for your school year in August, what is your mission and vision as for your music program? Mm -hmm. What are you trying to accomplish? And often when I work with people, that's the first thing I ask them, like, let's, 
let's talk about articulating what is the vision that you have for your music program when students leave you after however long you have them, if you're you know elementary or middle or high school, like after they have left the program at whatever point of time, <laughs> what is your vision for like what that student will have experienced, what they will have felt, what would have happened, what new knowledge that they're going to have? I think being really clear on what that piece is, is then going to help you be clear about how to explain that to other people. So if you're just picking, you know, diverse repertoire and you're having conversations in your classroom, but you're not clear on like what actually is the vision when somebody does, when a parent, you know, calls the principal, because they always call the principal first, they never call you. Yes. When they call the principal and the principal calls you into their office. And I hated that. I hated when the principal called me. It's so stressful. It was so stressful. Sometimes it was for nothing, right? But right, when right, the right. principal will inevitably call because the parents, you know, misunderstood. And of course, the children don't have the language to articulate it the way that we can, right? So they're going to articulate it like a child mm -hmm. and it might not be the way you want it to. And so when they go and have the parent, you know, the principal calls you in, now you need to talk about it. If you've already prepared what your vision and your mission is, and what you're doing in your class aligns with that, it comes a lot easier for you to advocate for diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging in your classroom. I think what makes um, what can make it hard is when you first are not clear on what exactly it is that you're trying to do. Because you can't then advocate if you don't know how to articulate it. So if you're really clear on like, what exactly am I trying to do with my students? And most of the time when I ask teachers this question, they say beautiful things. Like I want students to be able to express themselves and feel connected, like all the things that, you know, Missy just said. And so what are you doing then to help kids feel connected and learn to communicate and develop those 21st century skills and learn how to collaborate and critically think like whatever that, because it's probably a song or a discussion that they brought. They're never going to talk about, we learn about the half note in music class. That's not how a child is going to talk about it. But when they go home and they say the thing to their parent, are you ready to explain your curriculum and the choices that you're making? I actually was never scared when people asked me that question. And maybe this is a reason why I do what I do. I actually love when people ask me this question. I guess I will also say um, I have I've been very privileged to both kind of live in an area, but also teach in schools where the only ever like parent complaints I got were never for curriculum choices. Except for one time where I had a typo and I was like, yeah, you're right. That was actually a typo. But I never had anybody pushing back about repertoire choice. I ne It was never about that. It was always about something like, you know, so-and-so got in trouble and had to be held accountable right. and the parent didn't like that. Like it was usually right. stuff like yeah. that. It was never like, um, I talked about race and right. I talked about disability and I talked about sexism and I never, I am fortunate that I taught in, areas in schools. And I think also because I was very confident in how I was speaking about things and how I wanted my students to walk away, like from the conversation, um, that I never really had that problem. So I, I know I want to make sure I give that kind of disclaimer, yeah. <laughs> but I know yeah, that right. I'm very fortunate that I know in some areas like that, it I would have had a harder time. But I think also because I was excited when I had the opportunity to talk about my curriculum choices, because I very much knew exactly why I was choosing to do what I was doing and how I was doing it. Um, I always saw it as a, a way for me to advocate, advocate for why music is important, advocate for why the way I'm teaching music is probably more uh, impactful than the way many adults learn music, you know, a lot of adults, adults by like are adults at this time, right? They learn music, like, you know, opening a book and their teacher played the piano or maybe they play games and things, but there wasn't a whole lot of like deeper connection 
beyond the four walls of the music room. So I actually get excited when people ask me to explain my curriculum choices and how talking about racism that day, like connected to what we're doing, because I can talk about that. But it's because I know my vision for what I wanted my students to walk away with. And it's because I was very clear on that before I ever started teaching a thing to my students. I think where we get in trouble is that we get so excited about learning about how to be more culturally responsive and how to incorporate pedagogical practices to help us center our kids, that we just start doing the stuff and we don't fully understand the research behind it. We don't fully understand like the principles. And because we maybe don't fully understand it, it's hard for us to articulate it to our students. And then our students get this kind of garbled way of understanding that they tell to their parents the parents misunderstand, and now we have this like cycle. But a lot of it would have been solved if the teacher was already very clear about what they were doing and why, and like the way that they taught illuminated the why to their their students. And so I would say that, like that's like the number one thing: be really clear, but also be like understand that the community isn't going to. Especially if you if you live in a community, that's going to be more critical. And it's going to be more triggered by hearing a word like diverse, which is, I don't, I still don't fully understand why that word is triggering, but it is triggering to some people. So if you know that, then you have to front load it, right? So if you have a back to school night, you need to make sure that you get in front of all of the, and of course, not everyone comes to the back to school night, but you need to get in front of all the grade levels and clearly articulate what is the value system that you hold in your music program and what are some things that they should expect to see before anything happens. Because if you've preloaded for them, whether they came to the back to school night or not, you can say, you know, this is the program. I've been very clear about this is the program and this is what we're doing and why. And then you can start to kind of have a dialogue with the, the people through their lens, right? You have to kind of understand um, the community, right? Like. Is that going to be a triggering word for your community? Is there maybe another way you can introduce it to them without saying the triggering word first and then introduce it to them when they're ready, right? Just like with kids, right? If I know that they're going to um, have a hard time grasping something, I'm going to preload it with something else first. And then I introduce the trickier thing. Adults and parents need the the very, very same thing just because we want it so bad and want to understand it doesn't mean that they're going to get it. So how can we under, how can we learn about our, our community and be empathetic doesn't mean we accept racist stuff going on, but it doesn't mean that we can empathize with like maybe why a word is going to be triggering for them and how we can better uh, proactively upload things for them before maybe a problem happens. Like if you know there's a particular song that the community is expecting you to do and you know you're not going to do it, you can't just drop that on them. You need to preemptively like get them ready for that, explain like why that's happening um before that song even needs to come up in conversation they need to fully understand the program that you're you're trying to initiate for um for the kids and for the community you can't just drop it on them because adults don't like that adults have a harder time with that than kids they adults really don't like change <laughs> because we're right. older right right we, we get stuck in our ways so how can we prepare the adults a little bit better and do you think ashley that uh my question before about like other music teachers or oh, teachers yeah, yeah. is the answer kind of the same thing you know i think um sort of yes and i also think um with other music teachers or just other professionals i think because i think I've, i agree with you i think oftentimes it can be hard um like I, i've got, also gotten the whole well i have stuff to do right right well yeah. What is more aligned with my values? Is it more aligned yes. with my values if they learn the half note mm -hmm. 
Or is it more aligned with my values that they see that what we're learning in music is going to serve them 30 years from now when they're the politician and have to decide if we're going to still have an arts program or not? I would rather that they see the meaning (laughs) in 30 years that we keep Mm -hmm. having an arts program because if all they learned was a half note, they're going to cut our program, right? Mm -hmm. I want them to see the bigger meaning. And we can still learn a half note. But if all we did was that, that's that's not going to serve our students and that doesn't serve the ultimate vision that I have. And I think part of it with um, other music teachers, because we get so caught up on what we want and what we thought was going to happen in our music classrooms and what um, the pressure that we, I know especially uh, secondary folks, like the pressure to perform at adjudicated festivals mm. is very real. And, and I understand that. And you know, when you get to perform, and for some people, it's like tied to their teacher evaluation, right. which kind of blows yeah. my mind. Um, I totally get the pressure of like, we got to learn this song. We got to learn these techniques. We got to learn these standards. And again, I'm going to say when students, um, when you're teaching in a way that helps students to feel like they belong, lowers their cognitive load so their brain can actually take in the information mm-hmm. at a deeper level, you'll be able to do more rigorous learning. You can't really get that rigorous if kids aren't even interested, right? Yeah. So it's, that's nice that you think you taught them the half note, but actually they were just looking at you right? and you talked. <laughs> so like, <laughs> what are you doing to actually facilitate yeah. deeper learning? Or did you just like kind of people cover the standards, but did you really teach them? Mm-hmm. And, and they really, retain mm-hmm. that learning exactly yeah. in a way that's going to carry forward. Right. Um, because I think about that all the time from like the kind of framework that I use that I use to teach music. Um, when you look at it, it moves slower than what many uh, teachers are used to. And even yeah. today, I was saying to myself, "What you're doing is a it it like as you said it it aligns perfectly with what you know about how the brain uh, absorbs knowledge, and so it's slower." but it's more powerful and it helps them learn better so that if they went on and needed to learn higher level music things because they were becoming more musical and maybe even professional, they -hmm. would be able to absorb that so much more readily. Um, So it's, I love this idea of, um, you know, I wrote down a little of what you said, but I love this. Like if you can't articulate your vision and your mission, then you cannot advocate right. for it uh, effectively. And so like I'm flipping it to um, saying it in a positive way, you know, if you want to advocate for what you're doing, you better be able to articulate what yeah. you are doing and why you are doing it. Yes. And that's when that aide kind of said to me, oh, I know it was an aide who's a friend. And she said, well, I thought this was America. She said something about this is which was just such a troublesome thing to say to me, right. troubling. Yeah. Um, and I said, you know what? It's it's because it's America that I'm talking to the students about this, because yeah. I want them to make America a better place and so taking these things thank you for those snaps thank you chelsea (laughs) um i taking the time to alter what i was going to teach today is Mm -hmm. something that i don't regret at all and as a matter of fact i'm proud of the fact that i could let go of what i thought i was going to do to follow what they wanted to talk about yeah 
And those kids are going to remember that experience so much more than my teacher got through her whole lesson that day. Right. They don't, the kids don't care. They yeah. don't really care that we got through. First of all, they don't know what our whole lesson is. Right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even know. And they wouldn't care if you right. talked them through the whole thing. Facts. Exactly. Right. Facts. But they are going to remember like, okay, like they were able to draw closer to you, I'm sure, mm-hmm. through that conversation mm-hmm, and also sure. draw connections between because as a humans we're always looking for connection right we're always mm-hmm. looking for how do we connect how do i see myself with this person we're always um looking you know for pieces mm-hmm. of ourselves that's why it's so important to have reflections you know for our kids that's more important to helping them feel like they have a place in your classroom than you got through your whole lesson and you taught the half note and whatever i don't even know what you're going to do with the half note but right. well, good that you this like got to the half end. notes getting beaten up in this episode. i know we should do something else. <laughs> another Stupid half note yeah. um i think that this is a, a good place to wrap up this conversation because it's i really think it's a great um episode for people who are almost completely new to yeah. these concepts or who have been nervous to kind of mm. even open up the possibility of like, do I want to learn this about this new thing? Cause it's just going to make more work. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope they hear and see the value of these things. And uh, Chelsea had a few more questions about repertoire, but I know that Ashley, you um, in your LLC or LLC, listen to me. I sound so businesslike. Um, <laughs> What do you call it? Wait, My consulting now, firm. That's a consulting, consulting firm. firm. See, I'm like your foundation. I'm very <laughs> Dr. Strong, bad at business. That's what the kids always say. In your consulting work, you are doing so many things. So maybe as as we go out, um, you could like share with Chelsea some things that places where she might find answers to her repertoire questions. Yeah. And then that the listeners could also yeah, uh, go to. So tell us a yeah. little bit about what yes. you're doing. That would yeah. be lovely. So on my website, which is just my name, ashleycuthbertson.com, I have a specific blog called Responsible Repertoire Choices that has a lot of information about what might be a way to go about making sure that you're picking um, not just relevant music, but that is authentic to whatever it might be that you're trying to do, right? So I know I have that, but I have several posts that talk about repertoire because I know that's a, a big question that music yeah. teachers have. So I have several mm-hmm. that are on there if you just kind of look through. I also write a, um, every month I try to do a song of the month where I highlight what is what is a way to apply some cultural responses. I love responses. those posts. I love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. so glad. <laughs> and so I have one just about every month. I think I'm, I was a little falling off in the summer, but I have quite a few in the song of the month series. And so on the blog, you can like click on song of the month and it'll show you the past ones that I've Perfect. done. And some of them also have like downloadable, like lesson plans that go along with it. I do have one and I probably won't do it again, but I have one full unit plan with the full unit plan, all the lessons and several resources. It's called awesome. happy birthday, Dr. King. It's from uh, in January when I was, um, teaching about studio wonder and happy birthday dr king and so if you Mm -hmm. want to look at like what could it look like from the beginning to the end that's a good place to look because all the other ones are just like tastes of what it could be because yeah give all the you know can't give the whole cow what what a great resource though and i'm uh and by the way we're going to share all of these things so for the listeners who are like 
you know, I got to get my hands on that. Yeah. Um, oh, the other thing I was going to say, yes, so I have ahead. the blog and then I'm not sure when people are going to be listening, but I've been doing these monthly workshops online. Yes. Some of them have been like mini workshops. Mm-hmm. Some of them have been full, like hours long. Um, I decided to make it a little more accessible for people. And so I'm making my the whole thing live. So it's called the Music PD Library. And people awesome. will be able to access either single workshops or you can purchase the access to the whole thing. And so one of the workshops is specifically about repertoire choices. How do we pick powerful repertoire choices? And so that might be a place also to look, Chelsea, for if you want to hear me talk through like some, some yeah. purposeful ways. Yeah, so absolutely. We'll have both access to like the blog is for free, the music PD library, you get the purchase access, but that'll be soon mm-hmm. available. And then I, I just do, you know, things online from time to time. And I'm always, you know, available to come work with people as well. So yes. just keep an eye on my, mm. my email list. If you're not on it, that's like the best place to know what's going on, what I have available. Yeah. And we're going to share all of this on the episode website. Um, So people, you know, if you're listening to this right now, look where you're listening and you'll see uh, links to all these things. Um, And we'll also share uh, both Ashley's and Chelsea's social media. If you're interested, Uh, I hope you will follow them. I hope you will uh, support Ashley in this really important, valuable uh, work that needs to be done, and we need help <laughs> in knowing uh, how to do that. I know I am no expert, so I'm always so grateful to spend time uh, with an expert. And I thank you, Chelsea, for your your willingness to be vulnerable and share your questions. I wish more teachers besides wanting activities and resources, which I get because I mm-hmm. love them too. I'm screenshotting all the time. Yeah. Um, same. But I appreciate that you are digging deep uh, and you were willing to reach out and say, you know, I feel like I have this deficit and I need help. And Ashley, again, I thank you for your willingness to share um, your your expertise. And Ashley is coming back on the podcast sometime uh, in the near future. And by the way, Ashley, I don't know if you knew that, but you're coming back. I did. Yeah, (laughs) you told me. Surprise! Surprise! I'm happy to share. I'm happy. I mean, that's why I founded my company, right? I I felt like I was, it was, I was, you know, full-time teacher, but also doing this on the side and it became like, how can I Mm -hmm. best use my time to do what I'm feeling called to do? And And we're so grateful for this work. Yeah. This is a need and I'm, I'm happy to help. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you uh, both for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you for hosting. Lots and lots of great takeaways from the conversation. But one of the biggest for me was if you want to advocate for what you're doing in your program, you better be able to articulate what you are doing and why you are doing it. Ever since we had this conversation, I've really tried to focus in um, on this nugget of wisdom. Huge thanks to both Ashley and Chelsea Your thoughts and ideas and your willingness to share them are going to help so many teachers out there. I look forward to hearing more from both of you. To the listeners, I encourage you to look at our episode page to find out how you can follow Ashley 
and to see what events and courses she has coming up so that you can learn even more from her. You know, it's been a while since I've talked about our Buy Me a Coffee site, which is a place where you can help support the work of the Music Ed Amplified podcast and yours truly. You can make a small donation or you can become a member at either the Earl Grey or Afternoon Tea Levels. In addition to supporting the podcast, when you become a member of either one of these levels, you will also get other benefits and fun stuff too, like graphics I've created for my classroom, a list of pop music that I've been using or thinking about using with traditional folk dances, lesson ideas, and for those at the afternoon tea level, access to the entire huge colorful set of Move Along with Dr. Strong cards from my Music Ed with Missy Teacher Pay Teacher store. You'll also get things like the shout outs I'm going to do in just a minute. Before I do, though, I want to say how thankful I am to each and every one of you for joining and for your encouragement. I appreciate it so much. If you're interested in finding out more about it and supporting the work of the podcast, please check it out at buymeacoffee.com slash missystrong or look at the Music Ed with Missy Teachers Pay Teachers store. For questions about the podcast, write to docstrong26 at gmail.com or reach out to Music Ed with Missy on Facebook or Instagram or find me on Twitter at docstrong26. Our podcast music was composed and performed by Jeremy and Owen Strong. Jeremy also serves as the audio engineer and editor for the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and rate it wherever you listen. This is, as always, the best way for us to get the word out. And as promised before I sign off, a huge shout out to the following new afternoon tea level members from the past few months. And buckle up because there are a lot of you. I'm only going to share first names and um, sometimes I don't see the person's name. I just see an email address. So I'm going to try my best. But thank you so much to Laura, Patricia, Lisa, Katie, Amy, Courtney, Melissa, Jeannie, Abby, Lara, Abby, Gina, Pamela, Jen, Nicole, Laura, Katie, Carl, Callie, Alyssa, Katie, Amber, Heather, Susan, Michelle, Jessica, and by the way, we're only halfway through, <laughs> LR Cam, Tamara, Renee, Kirsten, Sharon, Emma, Danielle, Luba, Kathleen, Joanne, Anthony, Jamie, Rebecca, Courtney, Melanie, Kristen, Nicholas, Kelsey, Michael, Jess, Anna, Ruby, Doug, Jendi, Weston, Janelle, Sarah, Jody, Gina, Tracy, Anne, Tiffany, Kim, Chrissy, Rachel, Brianna, and Carrie. That is 64, I think new members so thank you to those afternoon tears thank you everyone for spending time with me i know for sure you are busy and life demands a lot from you i hope it was worthwhile and that you're motivated to reflect on your philosophy and practice 
I'll see you next time. But until I do, keep doing all you can to create a more musical, joyful, thoughtful, just world for your students, families, and community.